It's the idea or concept that people interact with the world in different ways. So invisible disabilities often fall under this umbrella. ADHD, ADD, Tourette's, other mental health differences. And it's really embracing the idea that it's just a difference. It's not that people who are neurodivergent are less than or weaker. It's really embracing the concept that we all think differently. This is TBI, Talking Brain Injury, with Brain Injury Alliance Colorado, sharing stories from TBI survivors and their supporters from all across the state. My name's Phil Lindemann, a mentor with the Act since 2019 and four-time recipient of brain injuries I don't really remember, plus a whole bunch I do remember. Today I'm talking to Jen, a TBI survivor and founder of The Working Well. She is helping business leaders across the nation recognize neurodiversity, a relatively new frontier where invisible injuries and even mental health are given the same credence as physical disabilities. She believes advocating for yourself at work, at home, and everywhere in between can be life-altering, and she would know she's living proof. Everyone, welcome back. It's Phil with the BAC Podcast. We are TBI, Talking Brain Injury, and today I'm joined by Jen and Jen I apologize. Help me with your last name. <laughs> it's Grindeland. Jen Grindeland. And Jen, where are you living? I live in Superior, Colorado. And um, you have a business that you've launched right there called The Working Well. Before we go anywhere mm-hmm. else, tell me a little bit about The Working Well. What kind of work you do? Yeah. Um, so The Working Well was inspired um, by my brain injuries and my uh, experience in the workplace post-brain injuries, which I'm sure we'll get to a little bit later on. But to kind of sum it up, the Working Well helps organizations um, work on their productivity and retention by working with managers and teaching them leadership and communication skills, as well as neurodiversity, what it is, how they can embrace it in their team and support their neurodiverse employees. And then I also work with their employees on self-advocacy, time management and organization, communication upwards. um, And I work with the whole team on mindfulness and self-awareness on all of these concepts and how they can really ground and center themselves so that they can incorporate the, the new skills that they're learning on a daily basis. That is a big range of stuff. The whole gamut of like, well, making for better organizations, right? That's kind of what it's all about. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's really about improving relationships within organizations and how to teach each level wherever you're at what skills you need in order to kind of positively contribute to the relationships that are at play. Got it. How'd you get into it? My background. So my bachelor's degree is in psychology Mm -hmm. and my master's is in organizational leadership. So that's, you know, like the CEOs of organizations, how to work with, how to, how to be one, (laughs) how to do it well. Um, And then I've been a yoga teacher and teaching yoga and mindfulness for years. So that's kind of where all the mindfulness and psychology and the leadership comes from. And then, um, with my brain injuries, I don't know. Do you want to, do you want me to get into that now? Yeah, let's talk about it. You know how you you know found those ties between organizational um, you know leadership and then also, well, neurodiversity. I like I cannot wait to dig into that more. But yeah, yeah. First, yeah. T- t- tell me how you got into it. You know your personal ties to to brain injury. Yeah, yeah. So um, I my first brain injury was when I was in high school, and so I had to deal with um, the recovery as 
a high schooler and what that looked like and and still able to get all my work done and and be social and all those things that come along with being in high school and and then in college as well and then I had um two more brain injuries in uh, post-college when I was working and um I found that people were generally pretty understanding for about the first month or two after each one. But then it, it was a question of why aren't you getting better yet? I don't understand um, what's holding you back. And I wasn't feeling emotionally safe enough to really share what I truly needed. And so tying that with my education, I, I realized like, oh, you know, they honestly just don't know what's going on and they don't know how to create an environment where I feel safe to share it. Hmm. So um, that's, that's where it all came from. So I realized like, I know how to create that kind of environment because of the education that I had and the experience um, working. Um, and I had my own team that I led uh, during that time, but I felt that my managers, um, while well-intentioned, you know, they just didn't quite understand it. And so that's where it all kind of ties together, where I, I want to teach, uh, or I am teaching managers how they can create that environment that makes it really feel emotionally safe for employees to share about what they need. So for example, I know, you know, every brain injury is so different, but I think a lot of people listening to this can probably relate to the fact that being on a computer is really triggering. Oh my and God. It's hard. Yeah, seriously. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I need breaks every 20 minutes. I need a five minute screen break and then I'm fine. Um, but if I go an hour or even two without a screen break, then, you know, I'm pretty much useless the rest of the day. Whereas if I just have those breaks intermittently throughout the day, then I can work all day and be a lot more productive. And so that's just a small example of how um, employees can learn how to self-advocate and mm -hmm. share that with their managers. And um, then overall, everyone's more productive because they're getting what they need in order to be more productive and happy. Yeah. I'm right yeah. there with you. Like I said, you know, screen time definitely is the... Um, that's what I found was the biggest thing leading to, you know, not only headaches, but just like, um, just kind of like frayed thought, you know, I would get through the day and lose all concentration. And I was like, Oh, what is happening to me? Am I not getting enough sleep? Am I not, you know, eating the right stuff? Well, y y what it came down to usually was that now I'm spending too much time staring at a computer screen. Um, what are some, well, I guess, what are some good tactics to, advocate for yourself with a boss. Cause I found that, you know, I told my boss that I was like, you know, I, I got to get away from the screens at least, you know, once or twice a day, like call it my, my, uh, my self care smoke break. Like I'm not going outside <laughs> to have a smoke. I, I just need to get away from those screens. And she was like, do it, do what you need to do. She didn't have an issue with it, but I'm sure that some people, you know, when they say that it's like, no, this is your job is that you got to be in mm -hmm. front of a screen. So you got to be there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, and most people actually are really receptive when you when you ask for what you need in terms of breaks or whatever it is. Um, but there's this this felt sense that that your manager won't be receptive. And um, so part of self advocacy is is just trying it out in baby steps and making it a win win solution. So for example, for for me, when I first started trying it out on my managers at the time, I, I offered other things that I could do. Okay, well, I can't be on the computer that long, but how about I organize these files for 
10 minutes and then I go back to my computer and do things and then I switch back and forth throughout the day or I you know I, I used to work in sports so I would I would say I'm gonna go check on the fields uh, in the mm -hmm. middle of the day as, as my screen break. So offering that kind of win-win solution for both of you. So I like to uh, say a lot of the times negotiation is not about compromise necessarily. Sometimes it ends up being compromised, but I like to find solutions that are, that are good for both of us. So if I want A and you want B, the compromise doesn't have to be, I get half of A and you get half of B, but maybe we both get C, which gives us both A and B combined and it's a unique solution that actually is maybe giving us all more than what we originally had um in mind yeah. so it's being creative and um honestly just putting yourself out there and trying it and and baby stepping it yeah and offering a win-win definitely and also important not to shoot yourself down before you even try i mean you know it's it's like to use a sports metaphor you miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take right <laughs> so you, totally. you, you got, you got to take the shot if you actually want a chance to get there. And yeah, I think, um, like you said, most people, um, that I've ever worked with are, are understanding as long as you advocate for yourself. Cause I talk a lot on this podcast, especially about brain injury being the invisible injury. It's hard for people yeah. to, you know, it's not like you have a broken limb or you, you know, mm -hmm. have some other very visible injury. So you've got to let people know that, you know, this is what I'm going through. This is kind of what I deal with. Um, how can we work together to find, like you said, C, as opposed to, mm -hmm. you know, something that's going to take away from what you want and what I want. Let's, you know, let's make something a little bit better. Um, yeah. And, and it's interesting that you bring up the invisible injury piece because that is kind of, you know, that's honestly what neurodiversity is, is, mm -hmm. is like the invisible um, ways that the mind works differently than what would be considered a neurotypical person. Yeah. And, now, I was going to say, before yeah. we get into neurodiversity, wanted to go back to some of your brain injuries, because I think you and I share something. The first injury I can remember, or the first major one, was also in high school. You know, uh, that. Mm. Um, tell me about your recovery from that injury in high school. Did you, I guess, did, did you realize what had happened? Was it something that do you, um, well, tell me what happened and how it was treated then on the spot. Cause we've learned so, so much yeah. about how to treat brain injuries, even in the past, you know, 15, 20 years. Yeah, totally. Um, it, so I was 15 at the time. Um, I, like we just were talking about before I just turned 30 yesterday. So I'm officially half of my life living, um, with brain injury and I at the time so I've had multiple brain injuries and concussions and I have never lost consciousness mm. and so the the first one um at the time it was very common practice that oh you didn't lose consciousness you didn't have a concussion you're fine mm. and um so it was a lot of kind of shopping around for doctors that could help me and a lot of misunderstanding um, and a lot of confusion on my end, too, because it was my first one. I didn't know what was going on. I, you know, couldn't even drive yet. So my mom was taking me all over to these doctor appointments. She didn't understand it. She didn't have a, a, any experience with it before. And um, it was it was a lot of I felt like I had to explain myself a lot. Yeah. Um, what kind of know? symptoms were you dealing with? I had nausea and headaches okay. um, and light lightheadedness were most common for me and it was i hit my um occipital lobe so my vision was messed up and i um 
had convergence insufficiency disorder, which wasn't diagnosed for several months. And so I, I, my eyes would get really, really, really tired. After about 15 minutes of trying to read, I would feel like I had been reading for hours on it. Hmm. Um, and my eyes just couldn't handle it anymore, which then would trigger headache, which was a, um, always accompanied with nausea. Um, I thankfully never threw up, but sometimes I'm wondering if that might have made the feeling go away. But yeah. Um, yeah, so headaches and nausea. So I couldn't read. Um, I would read a sentence and then be sick for hours. And I uh, couldn't watch TV, couldn't listen to music, couldn't um, be around flashing lights or quick movements. And when you're a teenager, when you're a kid in school, I mean, the, the reading is bad enough, but then literally every other outlet that you could have, you know, uh, hanging with friends, going to a movie, any of that stuff just became like unbearable. Impossible. Yeah. 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 And then that's hard too, because that's, I feel like that's when like the self-advocacy really is tested because, mm -hmm. you know, I'm in the car driving with neighbors to school and they're blaring the music and I'm like, Oh, I'm dying. Can you please turn that off? Yeah. And, and it's, and, and it's like, and you know, I'm sure that it would have been easy for them to think like, Oh, she just needs to lighten up. Come on. <laughs> like, yep. yeah. But yep. really, you know, it's, it's, it's whatever's going on inside the head is, um, literally not allowing you to be around that, the, the stimulation that is just wall yeah. to wall. And, and sometimes you don't even realize the stimulation is so surrounding it's everywhere until you do have mm -hmm. that head injury. Like it's just one of those things where, you know, we go through daily life, just, um, kind of not even realizing it until that injury sets it off. And then suddenly boom, everything's a screen or a bright light or a loud noise or, um, just, just something that can, like you said, make five minutes of being exposed to something feel like hours. Exhausting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Totally exhausting. Yeah. I actually ended up failing out of high school. My, or I was not, not high school, out of English class in really? high school. Um, my sophomore year when it happened because I just, I could not read. And, and that was expected to read a whole book and report on it. And I just couldn't. And so I ended up taking a uh, self-study English um, the next year. And that was a much better fit. Wow. Um, uh, and, and it just, again, just shows the, um, the diversity of brain injuries and how they impact people. Because I think back on mine in high school, I was about the same age. I think I was a year older, 16, uh, got knocked out during a soccer game and actually did lose consciousness, woke back up with smelling salts, um, sat out the rest of the game. But there was no injury to, you know, my, well, what I needed to play soccer. So very next day I was back out at practice. And I, I honestly don't oh, wow. remember too much of a, um, I don't remember any prolonged impacts from that other than feeling a little dizzy and off my game for a week or two. Um, really? but yeah, you, you, I, I really did luck out that I didn't have any issues with reading screens, anything like that. Who knows if I were to go back now and take a look at some stuff like, you know, I don't know. Um, may maybe I would notice stuff that changed after that incident that wasn't the way that it had been before. Um, but I, okay. I think I really lucked out my first one. I don't feel like I suffered any prolonged um, side effects from it. Uh, but of course, yeah. you know, it was only the first of many major ones. And that's what's happened to me is, you know, several over time and each time they got worse and worse <laughs> and and you know by now it's like man i've seen the cumulative effects 
just piling on. Right. Yeah. 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 That's the same. So I had, I had some concussions in college too, that I was just like, ah, if this was anyone else, they wouldn't be in as much pain. But Mm. since I've had it before, I'm in so much pain. And and then I had the major ones again. And, um, when I was 25 or 26, Mm -hmm. but those were kind of back to back, like six months apart. And so that was really, you could see the cumulative effect. And what happened there? So I was, it was March, it was St. Patrick's Day. I always forget the year. I think it was 2018, um, March 17th. I was snowboarding and I was going on kind of like a um, catwalk. Maybe there was a little bit of a slip, but it wasn't much at all. I wasn't going very fast. And so I decided that I was going to try a 180. And I had been practicing them all day and I'm not a very good snowboarder. I just started a few years ago mm-hmm. before that. <laughs> and um, so I just, I, started switching my feet and I caught an edge and I just landed back right on my butt, just like square on my butt. And immediately I knew I had a concussion and I guess the jolt bounced my brain against my skull. Mm. And, um, yeah, I was, I I was with my, um, husband and father-in-law and, I just sat there and they, they came up to me like, are are you okay? Like, why aren't you moving? And I was like, I know it's going to sound crazy, but I I just got a concussion and I didn't even hit my head. And I called my mom later and told her, and she was like, Jennifer, were you wearing your helmet? And I was like, yup, that didn't matter. (laughs) Right. And and sometimes it doesn't with those injuries. Like you said, it would, I, it can jolt around inside. Like the uh, metaphor somebody used for me was that it's like, uh, you know, jello inside of a Tupperware case. It can Mm -hmm. slosh around and it can hit too hard on one side, hit too hard on the other. And you think of jello. Yeah. It leaves a little bit of a, an imprint on, you know, even something Mm -hmm. like that. Not, you don't even have to get hit, hit directly in the head. Yeah. Yeah. I've had, I've heard the metaphor also like an egg yolk inside of a shell. Mm. It's, you know, it can bounce against the shell if you shake it around. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I think those are, those are other good like images to hold on to, you know, as you're explaining to people that, um, you know, well, this is kind of what I went through because they think, well, you didn't even hit your head when you were snowboarding. Mm -hmm. Right. And you're like, well, Mm -hmm. no, not directly, but, but, um, I also had a snowboarding accident and that was probably my worst one. Um, I had a tree going about 35 miles an hour, 40 miles an hour, pretty fast, never hit my head directly. Luckily I was wearing a helmet, but honestly, the doctors said it might not have mattered if I had hit the tree going that fast. Um, and yeah, I, I had that whiplash effect where, you know, my body took the brunt of the impact. I broke an arm, broke a leg. Um, but my head also took some serious impact, but because of the damage to the rest of my body, I, honestly didn't spend too much time thinking about the brain injury until suddenly my body had recovered and I was good to go. And I realized, wow, I am, you know, mentally still reeling from, uh, from that injury. And, you know, to this day, it's, it's the one that still gets me the most. That's the one that oh set off light sensitivity and, um, just difficulties with sleep memory, especially oh, short-term yeah. memory. Yeah. Like, uh, proper nouns. They are my nemesis remembering people's Uh names (laughs) or where they're from or, you know, all that stuff. Uh, that one, I used to be pretty good at it. And then all of a sudden, you know, that injury, it's been, it's been rough to, um, rough to keep up with people and the speed at which, you know, I'm expected to work, you know, cause I I work in, uh, in media and it's just a fast paced 
fast moving world. And sometimes I feel like, man, I am struggling to keep up with the pace of what's happening around me. And I don't want people to look at that as, um, well, you're not the right guy for the job. I want to be able to, you know, tell them that, you know, I am, trust me, trust me. I, I just need, I'm just working at a different pace from you. I guess, what are some good ways to advocate and stuff like that? You know, when you, when you're in a career and maybe you suffer an injury and you know that you can still keep up with what you're doing, but not the same way that you did before. What are some ways to advocate for yourself that way? Cause I've always struggled with that. You know, I don't want to show yeah. quote weakness or change, but damn, I got to let somebody know. Right. Right. And that that's really hard, especially when you're working for the same employer mm -hmm. um, pre and post injury, because they saw you the way that you were before. Um, and, you know, that confuses them, too, because that's that's how they identify you. Like, that's how they know you. Um, and so that was my situation as well. And so I think that there's there's two parts. There's to begin anyways. I think the first one is kind of figuring out what you need. And that could be a conversation with your doctor, you know, so maybe just some like self-reflection and brainstorming. Okay, what would help me? Like, I, I know that I can still do this work, um, but maybe I need to do it in a different format or I need to be at home or maybe I need to wear earplugs at work so that that's not a distraction or whatever it is. And it can also be a conversation, I think, with your employer, or your manager, or even HR, um, if if your manager doesn't seem receptive, sometimes I think it's easier to talk to the manager than get HR involved mm -hmm. because that's like a whole process. Um, but that can be kind of like a, a backup because <laughs> that's what they're, they're meant to do is yeah. to help you. Um, but it, sometimes it feels like it's an extra hurdle um, to go through that. But I think you can, you know, also a, a form of self-advocacy can be, hey, I, I don't know exactly what I need, um, but can I sit down with you and can we explore some options can we brainstorm ways that i can still be that i can still contribute to the team and i can still do my job um but maybe just change the how it's done or the um way that we communicate you know for example if it's harder for you maybe to um feel like you're, it's harder for you to keep up with everything that's going on. And maybe your short-term memory makes it difficult to remember the little things here and there. And um, maybe have a change in the meeting format. Whereas after each topic is done being talked about, we review it and we say, okay, let's make sure we're on the same page. And so that's where like the communication really weaves in. And so we can um, summarize what we just talked about and and have maybe you, Phil, if, if you're the one who's having the short-term memory issues, then you can be the one to summarize the information and, and confirm, did I get it all or did I miss anything? And that actually is a great practice for anyone, yeah. <laughs> not just not just neurodiverse people, um, but it's a great practice to make sure that you understood it all and it makes the person that you're talking to feel really heard and understood and that you care about what they have to say. Yeah. And it seems like a lot of this stuff could also translate over to personal relationships, the stuff outside of the workplace that people can sometimes struggle yeah. with after a brain injury, too. Because like you mentioned, um, employers, especially the same employers, they knew you before and after the injury, same times a million almost goes for family, yeah. friends, partners, the people that, yeah. you know, knew you before and after, and hopefully they are understanding. But you can't just assume that somebody's going to understand what you're going through you've got to communicate it, right? You got to let them know that, um, yeah. well, this is where you were and this is where you are now. And 
you know, I know that you, you love me, you care about me. Let's make this work. Um, this could be what I need. It, it, it takes me back to, um, Oh, I had a partner for a very long time in my twenties who communication, it was, um, her absolute most important element of our relationship more so than anything else. And I learned so much from her because, um, it can be tough to have those talks. Sometimes it can be tough to communicate with somebody who you want to assume, or maybe assume just knows what you're thinking. And it's kind of one of those tropes of like Hollywood tropes that I hate that, you know, that your partner should be, uh, should complete your sentences. Well, maybe that (laughs) happens for some people, but that's not the way the world typically works. And honestly, for a lot of people, it can, it can set you down a path that makes the relationship worse than better. If you just assume Mm -hmm. the other person knows what you're thinking and what you're going to say 24 seven. Totally. And, and I think that, um, it goes both ways too. So if, if you initiate asking questions like, Oh, you know, open-ended questions. Oh, what do you mean by that? Or can you, can you go into that further? Can you explain that in a different way for me? And that's for interpersonal relationships and in the workplace that really goes a long way with you initiating that communication to be really strong and clear. Um, and going back and forth that way so that you're again, you're understanding it more clearly, you have more time to process it and, and more um, formats to process it. And if they explain the same concept in different formats, and the person you're talking to feels like you really care about what they're saying, because you do, you know, Uh, it's just, it's not your fault that you can't remember it as easily as you might once have. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, I I think another important thing that I've learned over my, you know, going on a decade now of dealing with the immediate effects of uh, serious brain injury is um, that uh, you can't think of yourself as a burden. You can't think of yourself as something that's dragging somebody down because of, well, something that you really can't control what's going on inside your head. You guys got to flip the way you're thinking about things and then you can approach it hopefully from a totally different and um, positive supportive angle with other people, mm-hmm. um, you know, that it's, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's nobody's fault that our brains are fragile little bundles of neurons. It's just kind of how it works. Yeah. And now you got to deal with it, but it also opens doors to, you know, I've talked to, oh, over the years, I've interviewed lots of, um, uh, military vets coming back from anywhere, everywhere in the world, some injured in war. Other times they were just injured, you know, on leave, crashed a motorcycle or something, lost an arm, lost a leg, you know, the visible injuries. And they talk a lot about the new normal and how Mm -hmm. they hated that term so, so much when they were first, you know, going through therapy or going through rehab or whatever. But then over time, the ones that have adjusted the best found that they had to just embrace their new normal and their new normal might be 15 years old at this point, but it's a new normal compared to what the old normal was. And it was just, they found it was just such a powerful way to talk to people about, you know, my new normal is this and nobody's going to argue with you about the fact that this is the way you see and experience the world now. In fact, they might actually be more receptive and appreciate it more. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Being open about it and, um, having that open communication really helps other people feel like they can be open about it. Cause like you said, you know, it, we don't want to feel like a burden, but we actually don't even know because it's an invisible injury. We don't know how many other people in the room aren't speaking up because they might feel like they don't want to be a burden as well. And so if we have the courage to, to speak up about what we need, even if it's 
privately one-on-one with your manager or whoever, then, um, you know, that has the power to really impact other people who need that support too. And, and they might have the courage to speak up for what they need. And, and it really just trickles all around. It's like a, it's just, it's a ripple effect, you know, everybody ends up um, or can has the potential to, to be happier, more productive, um, able to feel like they're not a burden, getting really what they need to be successful and, and feel appreciated for their work. Because, you know, when we, like you were saying, like you um, initially weren't feeling as, as productive right after your brain injury. Um, it's hard. It can be hard for us to feel appreciated because if we're not even giving ourselves that appreciation, mm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. When you feel like um, you've suddenly either become a burden or you're not pulling your weight or you just can't produce the way that you used to. Yeah. It's um, the, the, the mind games that you play with yourself sometimes can be just as tough as letting other people know what you're going through, which I think all this comes back to neurodiversity. Give me, I guess, what is the definition of neurodiversity? What's it mean? So there's different definitions as all words have, (laughs) (laughs) but the way that I describe it the best is it's the idea or concept that people interact with the world in different ways. So invisible disabilities often fall under this umbrella, but it's, they're not synonymous completely. It also includes ADHD, ADD, Tourette other mental health differences. And so the concept is relatively new. I don't know exactly when it became a thing, you know, Mm -hmm. but it's really embracing the idea that it's just a difference. It's not that people who are neurodivergent are less than or weaker. It's really embracing the concept that we all think differently. And this just explains one of a subset group of differences, I should say. And um, I actually learned about the term only about a year ago. And when I learned about it, I was, I just felt explained. (laughs) I was like, oh my gosh, that's me. Where did you come across it? My dad told me about it. Um, Yeah, he, um, where he works, they started a neurodiversity um, committee where they are focusing on hiring neurodiverse individuals, which is um, kind of up and coming in the tech world. He works in tech. And um, so he, you know, I don't know if this is the case for you. I'm guessing it it probably very well could be, but like when anything brain related like comes up, people are always like, oh, Jen, Jen, did you hear about this? (laughs) People are always telling me about it because it just makes them think of me. Yes, most definitely. I I feel like the the TBI go-to for anybody who hears it, like anytime somebody nails their head, you know, out snowboarding or whatever, they're like, dude, dude, Uh dude, 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 Phil, tell me, what'd you go through? How'd you deal with it? And I'm like, well, all right. Let's get into it. Yeah. Yeah. Whenever anyone, anyone like gets a concussion, they're like, Jen, what do they do? What, what should they do? <laughs> <laughs> Which, you know, sometimes it is nice to be, you know, that the, the people um, know to come to me because, um, well, I don't know. I like to think that I have uh, been able to handle it relatively well. Um, and also, I, I, I know that there's just so, so much more that I could learn. And that's why I love hearing everybody's stories. I mean, it's part of the reason I do this podcast. I love talking to people from every part of the state who have dealt with, I mean, I've talked to people who have suffered it like yourself from sports, other people that were in car accidents, other people that had damage done to their brains through therapy. You know, they were doing electroshock, which actually caused the damage to their brains. It's just such a wide range of causes. And 
from there it spider webs out to like just almost countless symptoms and impacts and and then you know successes that come out of stuff too mm-hmm. totally i mean i i'm way better at managing my time because yeah. of it and you know because i have to i'm forced to you know if i can't just procrastinate and then try to cram all this work in you know without giving myself time to recover and take breaks and you know i've i've learned to be way more understanding of people whose stories i don't know or or understand and there's really so much blessing that's come out of it i agree i'm right there with you so like my my example that i've been thinking about a lot lately is um again i work in media and right around the time that i had my latest brain injury i was shifting from print journalism to where i work now i work for a radio station so i do on-air news up in summit county and um, on-air news is a much different beast from newspaper journalism. You've got two minutes to get everything out, and that's the only time you have, which might be 700 words at the most. Whereas when I was working at a newspaper, 700 words was about the standard size of one article, and I was writing three to four articles at a time, sometimes up to 1,500 words. So, you know, I was writing thousands of words every day to put to print and hopefully not messing any of them up. Well, I found that, you know, I was struggling really hard. Uh, it, it became almost um, impossible work to get good quality product out at that kind of pace and be proud of it, you know, and, and actually like stand by it. So I knew that I had to change something. And that's what led me to what I do now at, at, at the radio station. I'm still working, you know, same job that I had, you know, journalism. It's still the same, um, the same thing in spirit. But it's not the amount of work and the um, just sometimes the um, uh, the intensity that I used to deal with. I, I mean, I still find it difficult to write. Man, I, I love to write, but I still find it so hard to put together 2,000 um, succinct words on one topic. Whereas these days, you know, if I, you ask me to put together 150 words, so much easier. And some people will tell you that that's that's the hardest part is, you know, getting the 150, you know, taking a big topic and whittling it down to 150 words. Well, these days, uh, having the brain injury has actually forced me to be better at what I do and, you know, go through the uh, the junk, the uh, the static and get down to, you know, what's actually important. Um, so I'm, I'm thankful for that, too, that I've you know been able to kind of improve as a journalist because I can no longer um, sustain the, the, the long, fun, inventive stuff that I used to be doing. Um, now it's just kind of straight to the point. <laughs> yeah, I like that. That's a great example. And it's it really just, yeah. Well, and it was it too bad. Yeah, it, it really did. It changed how I think. And, you know, when I do give myself time to, to sit down and write, um, I, I'm able to make it happen. But, oh, man, doing it on a deadline, that just, it just doesn't happen anymore. I just, um, I used to, I used to love writing long form outdoor stuff and I can still do it, but you got to give me a week, <laughs> give me a week, maybe mm-hmm. two weeks to hammer that thing out. I can't do it in a day like I used to be able to do. And, you know, I mourn the loss of it sometimes, but at other times, um, I, uh, I'm grateful that I saw that and I didn't force myself to, you know, fit the, uh, the square peg into the round hole. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think how you just phrased all of that just now of how, you know, I used to be able to do this in a day, but now I need a week and I need a week's notice. I think that's a perfect example of self-advocacy. And that's a way you, you know, that people could do it in the workforce of just being 
upfront about what you need in order to be successful and saying, I need a week. And so if you know about this project or whatever it is, tell me immediately and you know, don't be upset if I don't get it to you by tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. What's in the, what, what, can, can you think of something that you've done similarly? You know, like, um, well, it sounds like what you moved from working at an office ish to, well, self-employed now running your own business. Did that help? Did, mm-hmm. Was that something that came out of, um, you know, understanding how you work best and what your brain needs? Yeah. Um, I always had a vision that I wanted to work from home, um, because of the flexibility it provides and the um, ability to take breaks in the comfort of my own home. Um, so I was, when I was in the office, I was working, you know, I got a couch in my office after my first brain injury. They, uh, they were able to help me get that. But taking breaks in the office is just not the same, you know? Yeah, and so um, I was like, what am I going to do? Like stare at the wall? You know, <laughs> It's just not the same. Whereas at home, you know, I can lay on my bed or I can lay down on the floor with my dog or I can do the dishes. And that's, you know, not stimulating enough to aggravate my brain. And um, so anyways, I always wanted to work from home. And so I actually got laid off from that job um, at the beginning of COVID. Mm. And so they were doing a reorganization and I was let go. And I had already started um, self-employment on the side. I was doing something a little bit different, also inspired by my brain injuries. I was doing wellness coaching, um, helping people be mindful about the choices they're making around their food and exercise. Um, And that was uh, stuff I had learned from being very mindful about it after my brain injuries. Um, It made a big, big, big difference on how I felt each day. And so I was teaching other people to do, to make similar choices. And um, I had already started that on the side and wanted to do it full time with the eventual goal of working with businesses. And um, so when I was laid off, it was kind of like a kick in the butt, like, okay, here you go. Like (laughs) now you're full time doing your own thing. So, um, yeah, funny how it forces you to just do it. It's like, well, yeah, you you had this idea now do it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I had been doing it maybe five hours a week beforehand, but here it's like, Oh, well, okay. 40 go. And so, (laughs) um, yeah, it was kind of cool how it kind of just kicked me into, into my fear. Like I, you know, what we want to do oftentimes can be scary. And it was at the time for me. And um, but I was grateful that I, I was in that position to be able to do it and, you know, have a severance package and things like that to kind of help me get off my feet, um, or get on my feet, I should say. And yeah. So, um, did that answer your question? Yeah. Well, and, and, <laughs> and, how ha- I, and how's yeah. it been going since then? I mean, uh, the stuff that you're doing with the working well, how's it been going? So, like I said, I was doing the wellness coaching for a while, and I and I learned about neurodiversity um, maybe even less than a year ago. I think it was last fall, and at that time, I was starting to really challenge it, challenge myself and what I was doing. And I knew that you know I enjoyed the wellness coaching. I used a lot of my yoga and mindfulness techniques in there, and I just I really liked it. But I knew it wasn't my ultimate goal. My ultimate goal was to work with businesses, and so. I decided um, last probably November that okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna actually do this the way that I I've been envisioning it. And my dream is to work with businesses and um, help improve the day to day of employees. 
and because I had struggled with that in my last job, just to no fault of my managers, I'm not, you know, calling them out. It's just, they weren't properly trained, Mm -hmm. you know, and which is super common, you know, people get promoted and don't get trained on how to lead. And and so it's super, super common. And um, so in December, I decided to find a business coach. And um, I had been following this women's entrepreneur group for a long time. And I decided to enroll in their business coaching program that started in January. And so I, uh, it, it had a three month program and then I enrolled for another three months. And so that's ending actually on Thursday. Okay. And so they really, really helped me define exactly how I help people and what I am doing, um, in terms of relating it back to my own story. And, um, so I'm super clear on, on what I'm doing and, all thanks to this program that I went through. And I just, um, I'm going to start formally with my first official client in in this capacity um, in the fall. And so we're working through contracts and things like like that right now. All right. So I would say it's going really well. I mean, I'm um, loving that I get to talk about this stuff on a daily basis and talk to potential clients and to just talk to friends even and and have them refer me to their managers and, and talk to them about potentially working with them. And, and so right now I'm in the stages of really just getting um, my name out there and what I do and letting people learn about it in a way that um, sparks interest. And so they can think, hey, would this be would this be helpful for my company? Should I uh, think about looking more into this? And, you know, I'm really looking to... Um, just be helpful (laughs) really to (laughs) managers and employees and, you know, um, see who, who I can help and not trying to just, you know, get the next sale, but trying to work with people who really want it and could use it. Um, so I would say it's going well and I'm excited for what the future holds. Yeah, most definitely. You know, being your own boss is always, um, well, the hustle is real, but when you got the passion for it, Hey, it makes it, oh, it makes it take off the way they want it to. How do people get involved with you? You know, I guess, you know, say somebody's listening to this right now. They want to mm-hmm. bring you in to well, look at their organization. How do they get a hold of you? I think the best way is to email me um, to so that I can then set up a, a call with someone and just learn about what they've got going on and, and see if it would be a good fit. Um, so my email is Jen with two N's. So that's J-E-N-N at the working well dot us. Perfect. And like you said, you are based right there in um, Superior. You're working with people, I guess, trying to work with people here in Colorado, people locally that you can meet face to face, or is it anybody anywhere? It's anybody anywhere. I mean, local would be would be cool, you know, but it's not um, a requirement by any means. So the program that I have created to help people is designed to be virtual. Um, but it can be held in person if people are local and they want that. All right, cool. Well, Jen, thanks again for making time to get on here with the uh, BAC podcast, um, with TBI talking brain injury. And, um, it's just so cool to hear the work that's being done with neurodiversity. I mean, it reminds me of any good diversity work, understanding that we ain't all made the same. We're not going to think, act, look, be the same, 
but together a little a little b we can make that c right (laughs) (laughs) something so we could keep on moving forward making it better than it than it ever was before totally totally and i'm just excited to bring this new diversity piece into the dei world that is is starting to get some recognition, but I want to, you know, really blow it up. <laughs> yeah. So, and and I love, you. yeah, of course, I love hearing that too. It's one of those things where I think to one of my BIAC uh, mentees, he always said, it's so tough to explain this to a boss. Um, well, mm-hmm. I, you know, if a boss understands even just a little bit more, might make that conversation easier and hopefully uh, get you both where you want to be. Totally. And it is just so common as I've been, you know, researching, learning all about this topic, I've just been blown away with how common it is. It's, you know, an estimated 10 to 20% of the U.S. population is neurodiverse, which is just mind blowing. The first time I read that, like, whoa, it's one in 10, two in 10 people in a room are likely silently struggling and not feeling like they can speak up. So just bringing awareness to that. Absolutely. Jen, well, thanks for the work you're doing and look forward to catching up with you, you know, a year from now and hearing all about that. Well, the way that you've blown up, the business has just kind of gone, <laughs> gone up and up. We'd love to hear about it. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me, Phil. I really appreciate of it. Of course. Good to have you in here with BIAC, the TBI podcast, talking brain injury. 